You can turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Look, I, I know what time it is. Let me say something again. I've said it before. Look, one of the things I appreciate about this church is that I think I'm the only clock watcher in here. No one ever complains about the time. And I appreciate that. I will try to be mindful of the time, however. We're in Mark chapter 6 as we continue our study through the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to pick up this morning with verse 45. We took a couple of weeks away for Palm Sunday and Easter. We're going to be reading verses 45 through 52 of Mark chapter 6. Let's give careful hearing to the reading of God's Word. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he himself was sending the crowd away, and after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, and seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when, he saw, when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them. And the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. That is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you again so much for this time together with your people in your word. And we pray your blessing upon it. And I pray as always you would just take the words that I speak and, and use them in your way in the hearts of those who hear. And for that end, we'll give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the older I get, the more frustrated I become with myself. And my frustration is how sometimes I fail to apply the truths of God's word to my own life. You know, there, there are lessons I think I should have learned when I was 25 that I hadn't learned yet when I'm 65. The more I understand about what the Bible teaches, and the more I see what the, what the Bible tells us, and the more I grasp what God requires of me as one who has faith in Jesus, the more I realize how far yet I have to go in being conformed to the image of Christ. You know, more and more I identify with the Apostle Paul who, who, who talked of himself. And he said, what I'm doing, I don't understand. For I practice not what I would like to do, but what I don't want to do. I'm doing the very thing that I hate, he said. For the good that I would, I don't do. But I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. Now, why is that? Can you identify with that? Is that your experience too? 
I certainly identify with the Apostle Paul in that. It is so hard, isn't it? Why is the Christian life so difficult? Why is this goal of holiness and sanctification so elusive for us many times? I think we find part of the answer to that in our text this morning about these 12 men in a boat. Now, this is a familiar story. Who hadn't heard of Jesus walking on the water? Again, many times it's those texts that are most familiar to us to which we become dulled and we, we fail to see the real meaning and significance of why it's in the Bible and what it's trying to teach us. I think this, te- this, this passage teaches us the, the importance of learning spiritual lessons. You know, the reason we struggle, the reason we become frustrated the reason we fall short is, is a basic failure to apply what we know to our hearts. To take the truth that we've learned and apply it to our lives. You know, Paul spoke, I think, with a bit of frustration to the Thessalonians. When he said to them, you received instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God. And his point was, you received instruction to do it, but you aren't doing it. You know, we're always in the pursuit of learning something new. And sometimes we need to take what we already know and apply it to our lives. Take what we've already been instructed in, what we've learned, and live by it. That's where these men in this boat were. They needed to apply the spiritual lessons they had seen and heard in Jesus. And I would imagine, I've already had my time of confession this morning, I would imagine that's where many of us are today, isn't it? Where we just need to take the spiritual truths that we know and apply them to our hearts and lives so they might live more obediently, more faithfully before the Lord. I'm going to break this text down into six parts. They're brief parts, six brief parts. We find first in this text a stern command. Now, remember the context of this passage. We've kind of lost the context because we missed a couple of weeks for uh, the Easter season. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. We would call it the 5,000. Remember, it's probably the 10,000 or the 15,000. And remember that Jesus and his disciples had, had left. He's ministering around the Sea of Galilee. They'd left the Sea of Galilee because all the people that were pressing around them, they went to the other side of the sea to try to find some rest and to be alone. But the people followed them and met them, and here they were, no rest, no time off, no relief. But instead of being aggravated with people, Jesus ministered to the people. It was the close of the day, remember, and uh, Jesus fed them their supper from little boy's sack lunch. Now, I'm sure that day had been physically exhausting and also spiritually exhausting. You know, it's hard to imagine how all this affected Jesus in his human nature. 
It's easy to just read through the passages and say, well, it's Jesus. But Jesus had a human nature, much like us. He became weary and tired. He became discouraged. And who knows how performing these miracles impacted him spiritually. Who knows how dealing with these people over and over again impacted him emotionally. And Jesus needs some time away. He knows his disciples need some time away. And so we're told in the text in verse 41 that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. That's the stern command. He told his disciples, look, you get in that boat and you leave. You just go away. I'm going to deal with the crowd. You just leave. The, The Greek really says he compelled them. He forced them to get in the boat and leave. And once they were gone, Jesus dealt with the crowd and he, the text says he bid them farewell. He was done for the day. And so Jesus dispersed the crowd uh, and sent the disciples away. Well, in the second place, we see a striking contrast. And we find that in verses 46 and 47. Because after Jesus bid the group farewell, we're told in verse 46, he left for the mountain to pray. Jesus needed some time alone. But time alone for Jesus wasn't just time by himself. It was time with his heavenly father. We've seen that already. Early in Mark where Jesus got up early in the day, went to a secluded place and prayed. And here he does the same. He, he goes off by himself. It's in the evening to pray. And it's clear his intent was to pray all night. And the contrast is that while Jesus was alone on the mountain in prayer, his disciples were in the middle of the sea. Now, by now, they should have been all the way across the the Sea of Galilee, but they were in a storm, having difficulty rowing the boat across the water. Verse 48 says that they were straining at the oars, says the wind was against them. Now, the disciples had... It had been in these storms before. We, we saw a similar storm back at the end of Mark chapter 4. And there was a contrast then too. Uh, the disciples were scared to death because the storm was beating on the boat and Jesus was, was asleep. What a contrast. These, the, these disciples in panic in the storm and Jesus resting. But here Jesus is not in, in, in the boat, but the same thing is true. They are panicked in this storm. And Jesus is at peace, not asleep, but at peace in prayer. And the third thing we see in this text is what I'm calling a surprising circumstance. You know, verse 48 goes on to give us one of those wonderful pictures of Jesus. Here he is alone on the mountain in prayer. He's able to see and to know what his disciples were experiencing. Even though it was the dark of night, even though they were several miles away, Jesus was able to see the disciples and know they were in trouble. And what we see here again is the, is the clear deity of Jesus. I mentioned earlier, he, was, he had a human nature, experienced things much like we do. But he had a divine nature. He was deity and he could do things we can't do. 
And here Jesus is on the mountain and he sees his disciples in trouble. Now that ought to be an encouragement to you. Jesus is God in the flesh. He he exemplifies the attributes, the characteristics of God. And one of those is God's omniscience. Jesus knew the plight of his disciples in the storm, in the boat, on the sea. Look, take that to heart. Jesus knows your plight. Jesus knows your trouble. Jesus knows your difficulty. There's not anything in your life, no matter how upsetting it might be, that he is not aware of, that he does not know. Here he sees his disciples struggling, struggling in the sea, battling against the wind and the waves. But Jesus didn't just see them. He went to help them. Now, here's the situation. The disciples are, are, are battling, rowing against uh, the, the waves. They should have made their trip in two hours. They've probably been rowing now by, for six to eight hours. And they are, no doubt, exhausted and worried. It's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. If you'll notice, uh, the text says... In verse 48, it was about the fourth watch of the night. The, the people then divided the, the nights up into four what were called watches. They were the, the shifts that the guards would take during the night. The first watch was between 6 and 9 in the evening. The second watch was between 9 and 12. The third watch was between midnight and 3 a.m. And the fourth watch, the fourth watch that we're talking about here was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And so sometime they've been, they've been rowing all this time. And now during the fourth watch, we're told that Jesus came to them. And Jesus came, the text says in verse 49 or verse 48, walking on the sea. Verse 49 says he was walking on the water. That's one of those passages where we just become so familiar with it, we become so dull to it. You ought to say, Jesus did what? Jesus did what? Jesus walked on the water? That's something only God can do. And that's just the point, isn't it? It is something only God can do. And here Jesus is showing his deity again, not just through his omniscience, his ability to know the plight of his disciples, even though they are far away from him, but his ability to do something no human can do, and that is to walk on the water. Now Mark concludes this with an interesting phrase. In the end of verse 48, where he says he intended to pass by them. What does that mean? Jesus intended to pass by them. Does that mean he was kind of like uh, we are many times when you're on the interstate, we see a, an accident on the other side of the road, somebody in trouble, and we slow down, and we gawk, and we look just to see what 
is going on? Is that what Jesus is doing here? Just passing by them? Some commentators say, well, he intended to pass by them and he was going to get in the boat only if the disciples asked him to get in the boat. But I think there's something much deeper, much richer here. When the Bible says that Jesus intended to pass by them. It is clear, I think, in the text that as Jesus walked on the water, his appearance was different. The disciples did not recognize him. In some way, Jesus' glory was being manifest as he walked on the water in front of his disciples. And he was intending to pass by them. It's interesting, that's got rich Old Testament meaning. Moses, you remember when he's on the mountain, he asked God, show me your glory. And God said, well, I can't do that. Because no man can see me and live. But he said, I have a compromise for you, Moses. Here's what I'll do. I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. Then I'll allow not my front side, I'll allow the back side of my glory to pass by you. I will hold out my hand to protect you as I pass by. And the Bible says God did that and his glory passed by Moses. Elijah went through a time of great discouragement because Jezebel was trying to kill him. He ran for his life and he, he sat down under a juniper tree and he begged the Lord just to have mercy on him and take him out of this world. But God had other plans. He sustained Elijah led him to Horeb. And there Elijah sat, sulking, feeling sorry for himself. And so the Lord came to Elijah and asked Elijah what he was doing. And Elijah said, I alone am left. And they're seeking to take my life away. And so to discouraged Elijah, God did something special. He said, you go stand on the mountain, Elijah. And while he was there, the Bible says, God passed him by. God passed by him. What is Jesus doing here? He's intending to pass by the disciples. They might see the wonder, the glory of his nature. They might trust fully in him that their fear and their distress and their anxiety might be removed because of who he is. And the way he manifested his glory. In the fourth place, we see a state of confusion. When the, when the disciples saw this person, this thing, whatever it was, walking on the water, they were confused. I said, they, they didn't recognize Jesus. In whatever form Jesus was, they didn't recognize him. And they wondered, who is this? What can this be? They, they knew it couldn't be a human because humans don't walk on water. And so their assumption was, their guess was, it was a wrong assumption, a wrong guess was that it was a ghost. You're talking about missing the point. They missed the point. Here Jesus is passing them by to show him his glory. And they say, this is a ghost. And the Bible says, 
they saw him and they were terrified. Well, in the fifth place, we see a calming conversation. Jesus did two things. First, he spoke to them. He said in verse 50, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus said, look, guys, it's me. It's me. And they were told he got in the boat with them. And as soon as he got in the boat, the storm was still. The winds died down. The waves became calm. In the previous account, it's actually Mason preached on that account when I was away some weeks ago. Jesus spoke to the wind and the waves, and they were calmed. Here there's no indication he speaks. He just gets in the boat, and the waves become calm to them. Look, the presence of Jesus is always to have a calming effect. Jesus said in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. Look, your your faith in Jesus is to calm your troubled heart. The presence of Jesus calmed the storm. It should have calmed the disciples' hearts as well. Then finally we see in the text, I think a description of their true spiritual condition. The way I see this text, it all builds up to the end of verse 51 and verse 52. Because as important as Jesus' omniscience is, it's not the most important thing here. As important as Jesus' life of prayer is, it's not the most important thing here. As important as Jesus' power is to walk on the water, that's not what most is most important here. And, and, and as important as Jesus' comforting words are, that's not what's most important. What is most important is that these, these 12 men... Men who had been the closest with Jesus, who had spent the most time with Jesus, who had heard the most from Jesus, who had seen the most in Jesus, had not learned the spiritual lessons they should have learned from Jesus. In many ways, they were just like the crowd of the 5,000 who missed the point. Remember? Jesus came feeding the 5,000, presenting themselves as the bread of life, and they just wanted physical food. And they thought, man, it would be cool to have a king like Jesus who can feed us that way. Look at how the story ends. End of verse 51. It says, they, that is the disciples, were utterly astonished. And that's not a that's not a compliment. They were utterly astonished. Why would they be astonished? I mean, good gracious. Already they've seen Jesus do this before. They've seen Jesus raise the daughter of Jairus from the dead. They've seen Jesus heal a leper. They've seen Jesus cast the legion, the multitude of demons out of a man, drive them into the pigs that went over the cliff into the sea. They've seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle, and yet 
when he performs this miracle, they are what? They are astonished. They're amazed. They should have said, it's so good to see you, Jesus. We knew you could do this. But they are astonished. And why is it? Verse 52. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves or the raising of Jairus' daughter or the healing of the leper or the healing of the paralyzed man or the healing of Peter's mother-in-law or the casting out of the demons, whatever it might be, they had not gained any insight from it. They had learned the spiritual lessons that were in those events for them. And that's why they were astonished that Jesus could do it. At this point in their lives, there wasn't a whole lot of fruit. You take an honest look at the disciples. You say they struggled. Encourages me. I started out talking about my struggle. You know, in just a little bit, uh, they're going to argue amongst themselves about which one's the greatest. In Jesus' darkest hour, they're going to desert him. Before that, they all sit on their hands and let Jesus go by and wash their feet. They had a long way to go, didn't they? Why is that important? It's important because the same applies to us. We may need to make sure that it can't be said of us they didn't gain any insight from what they were supposed to from the Scripture. You know, all you see me do is open this book for 13 years and just tell you what's in it. Look, I don't, I don't have anything new. I don't have no new message from God. I don't have some new revelation. I don't have some new trick. Some new ploy. It's all I got. It's all I got. And the responsibility laid upon all of us to gain insight from it. And I think it's a good question to all of us to ask ourselves. Just what do we gain from it? What difference does it really make? What insight do we really glean? I mean, we're here Sunday after Sunday. Sunday school, morning worship, some of us back Sunday night, Wednesday night, over and over again, we're exposed to the truth of the gospel. And I think a passage like this makes us stop and think, am I really gaining the insight that I ought to gain from it? Is it making the difference in my life that it ought to make? Am I learning the spiritual lessons that God has for me in his word? May he encourage us and help us today from the failure of the disciples to make a new commitment to take what we know the truths of his word to which we've been exposed and apply them to hearts that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. And I thank you for these dear people who sit here Sunday after Sunday. 
I pray for grace for all of us and pray that we would be able to apply the truths that we know to our lives. We might be more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.